0: morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 this morning. Matthew chapter 21. So good to see you here this morning. Uh, We do have visitors in the audience, and we do want you to feel especially welcome this morning. Hope that uh, the things that we study together this morning will be helpful to you uh, as you strive to serve the Lord and, and learn about Him. Last week we talked about Palm Sunday... ...because it just so happened to fall on Palm Sunday uh, as it is recognized. But this week we're not going to jump to the resurrection. We're just going to continue moving our way through the book of Matthew... ...and and finding uh, some rich messages uh, for us in this book. Um, Jesus has been training His disciples uh, and He's been trying to teach the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. He's been doing a lot to try to uh, turn people to God and uh, to try to cultivate uh, you know, hearts that are seeking God and, and understanding that He is the Messiah, the one who has been uh, given to mankind for their salvation. We noticed last week Jesus uh, gets a colt and he comes riding in on this colt. And everybody recognizes that this is the king that was foretold in Zechariah. Uh, And they start crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David, Uh, save us, Son of David. It's just a beautiful picture. Uh, It seems as though everything is working out really well. As though... uh, Everybody is accepting Jesus and Jesus is going to be risen up as king. He goes into the temple and he finds there that there's marketplaces in the outer courts of the temple where they're selling food, uh, selling, selling the sacrifices and, and different things in the temple uh, and charging a convenience fee and all this. And he turns over the tables uh, to cleanse the temple. And they, the children, even in the temple, cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. It's really an interesting picture that you see Jesus coming in as though he's going to cleanse everything and set everything up. But the chief priests and elders come to him and they're upset about what he's done. Uh, They're not happy. Uh, They don't understand. And so Jesus uh, quotes another scripture and he leaves the temple. He leaves Jerusalem. He goes to Bethany uh, where he stays at night and then he returns the next morning. And we're going to learn about the second Uh, day in Jerusalem this morning as we study together. But before we begin, I would like to ask you a question to just kind of set this up and get us thinking about what we're going to be studying this morning. How productive are you in the kingdom of God? How productive are you in the kingdom of God? This is not a question that I take lightly, uh, nor am I asking this to bash anyone over the head... (laughs) Uh, Because I see people who aren't being productive. But it really helps us to think about what we're about to study. If we evaluate ourselves first and think, if I am a believer in Christ, if I am a servant of God, one who is saved, uh, how productive am I in his kingdom? Am I productive? And if I'm not, why not? Maybe there are some here who aren't working. I know there's a lot of people here who are working. Uh, And and I know that there's probably a lot of people here who I don't even know the work that you're doing. And so I have no reason to judge or try to bash you over the head with with anything at this this, uh, junction right now. Uh, But as we study this together, we need to evaluate how productive we are. And we're going to see that. Uh, Jesus comes in uh, to Jerusalem again. And as he's on his way there... It's morning, and he's hungry. And this is what it says in verse 18. Uh, In the morning he was returning to the city. He became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, "...may no fruit ever come from you again." And the fig tree withered at once... Kind of an odd scene, kind of an odd little story that, that introduces us to, to the text we're going to be studying today, that you see Jesus walking along and on the side of the road he sees a fig tree with leaves. Now, you need to kind of be associated with fig trees and that, that region and the time period. Uh, if this was Passover time period, it's not the season for figs. Okay, figs would not normally have been produced at this time. In fact, Luke even tells us it wasn't the season for figs. But a fig tree grows figs, the fruit, as it's growing the leaves. And so uh, if you see one that's full of leaves, then you would assume it is full of figs. It has plenty of figs. And so Jesus goes off the road to find ...the figs on the fig tree... ...because this fruit, this tree... ...seems as though it is a healthy, thriving plant... ...that is producing much fruit. But he finds none. And so he says, may no fruit ever come from you again. <laughs> How many of us would say that? I mean, wouldn't we all say that? If, if, you, if you saw that tree had no fruit... And, ...I mean, you'd just you'd kick it or you know shake it or be real mad. You're hungry, it's morning, right? I mean... How many of us are not morning people? Okay, so here's Jesus upset, right, about this fig tree. But the fig tree responds to Jesus. It withers noticeably. And the disciples see this and they ask, How did the fig tree wither like that? i mean i've I've you know been pretty upset at stuff uh, you know objects that maybe did nothing to me, uh, but you know i I'm upset about it, and I might curse that thing or you know you know say stupid car, stupid whatever. it doesn't just wither in response, you know it doesn't just you know get a sad look on its face, it doesn't fall apart in response to my words, and yet Jesus just curses this fig tree, and it just withers. You imagine seeing that event take place, and the disciples are blown away. And then Jesus teaches them that if you will have faith and not doubt, you will do even greater things than this. He says, this mountain, Jerusalem, which they're going up to, he says, if you say to this mountain, be be picked up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. That's an amazing statement. Uh, that that Jesus says to them, that their faith can move mountains is a pretty amazing idea. But Jesus is just really trying to encourage them, help them understand that God can do anything through them in the future. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're seeing all this, and then you hear this, how encouraging would that be, knowing uh, that, that you have power? Now, the idea of a mountain being thrown into the sea is, is a picture of judgment, right? A judgment against this mountain that you would throw it into the depths of the sea. Uh, that's a pretty harsh judgment, again. Now, a lot of times we see Jesus as compassionate, loving, merciful. Uh, what's going on here? Why is Jesus causing the fig tree to wither? And why is he talking about the mountain being thrown into the sea? What is all of this about? This has a lot of significance as you continue reading through the book of Matthew. As we said last week, we've hit a major transitional point. Jesus has said, I will go to Jerusalem and I will be killed by the chief priests and elders and scribes and the Gentiles and they will mock me and they will scourge me and they will crucify me and then I will rise on the third day. And now he has come to Jerusalem and we are seeing a little bit of an understanding about what's going to take place there as he comes into the temple and cleanses it. But now on the second day he comes he shows us this picture of a fig tree. And he's basically telling us Jerusalem is a lot like this fig tree. It's fruitless, and it's near to being cursed. We get to chapter 24. We're going to see Jesus let loose uh, curses and judgment against Jerusalem. So before we get to all of that, Jesus just goes ahead and gives this picture to help us understand why. Why would Jesus judge Jerusalem and destroy it? Well, they're a lot like this fig tree. They're they're just full of leaves. They look beautiful. They look righteous. They look fruit-bearing. They look like they're this great city, this this wonderful city of God, this high temple that has been uh, constructed and beautified by Herod all these religious leaders that are so studious and studying the word and knowing all this about God, all these people who are making this huge trek to come to Jerusalem for the Passover, it just seems like this fruitful tree, but it's not. And it's near to being cursed. As we continue, we're going to look at two more sections and we're going to see that very idea. From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he goes right into the temple the second day, and he starts talking to the people and teaching them. And these chief priests and, and elders, they come up to him and they're like, hey, wait a second, what are you doing? Who gave you authority to come into the temple and start teaching? If you were a Jew at that time, you would know that the, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the, the chief priests, the priests are really supposed to be in charge of the temple, Uh, who gave you authority to come in here and teach? You see how they're trying to be on guard, maybe against false teaching, and they've set up a system of ordination. Uh, You're not ordained. You've not gone to the school of Gamaliel. You've not gone to the school of Nicodemus. You've not learned from the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, and we have not allowed you to do this Who do you think you are? What authority do you have? And who's given you this authority? Well, they seem very righteous. They're standing up for the truth. They're standing up for God and God's word, it seems. But Jesus doesn't answer them and tell them where he got the authority. He could have. He could have said, well, obviously I have the authority from God. Watch, let me heal somebody real quick. (laughs) <laughs> could have done that. No, he didn't do that. Instead, he says, I'm going to ask you a question. The baptism of John, what, what, what was that about? Where did that come from? Was, that a pro- was John a prophet? Did he, did he come from heaven? Was he uh, the baptism that he was instituting, was that from heaven? And if you remember earlier in Matthew... John rejected the religious leaders, calling them a brood of vipers as they came out to him. And the religious leaders rejected John. They didn't want anything to do with John. But all the people loved John and they listened to John. And so he's kind of put them in a difficult situation. And, and Matthew gives us a little bit of insight into this. They're saying if, if we agree that John was a prophet, then he'll say, why, do, why don't you believe in him? And he'll, he'll make it very clear, I'm... I'm the one who's following the messenger. That's what Malachi foretold. But if we say that John wasn't from God, which we believe John wasn't from God, then all the people will hate us and love him. And so they say, we don't know. This little story just kind of gives us a little insight into the Jews, into their, their mentality, that they refuse to be honest and open about the truth because they're really trying to remove Jesus from the temple and they're really trying to maintain their status, maintain their position. They are the most righteous people uh, in Jerusalem and they're the ones who keep things going around here. They're the ones who have the authority from God, according to the law especially. And so... They just skirt the the question. They don't don't answer. And Jesus says, then I'm not going to tell you by whose authority I do these things. It's kind of interesting. You kind of wonder what the people were thinking as they witness all this take place. But then Jesus responds with a number of parables. For the sake of time, we're only going to go through one parable... ...because I think it really hits the point that I, I'm trying to focus us on this morning. Now let's read this parable, verse 28, beginning. It says, What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and he said to him... The same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two of them did the will of his father? And they answered, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So Jesus uh, brings up this parable, talking about two sons. The first is asked to go into the vineyard and work. And he says, I'm not going. I've got other stuff to do. I don't want to mess with that. But then afterward, he feels bad and he goes. And then the second son says, oh, yes, I will go. You know, I'm the good son. And then afterward... He doesn't go. He refuses to go. And Jesus asked him very simple questions. It's probably the simplest parable of all the parables. Which one did the will of his father? So easy, right? We know the answer. The Pharisees know the answer. They say, well, obviously the first. And Jesus applies it by saying this. Tax collectors and prostitutes go in before you. Now, tax collectors are just horrible people. They're robbing and stealing and taking from people to make themselves wealthy. They're supporting the Romans who were horrible oppressors of the Jewish people. They were hated for for all that they did. And the the prostitutes, I mean, we we don't have to say anything about that, right? But, But here he says, they're going into the kingdom before you. This is the religious leaders over all of Jerusalem tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before them? Yes. The ultra-religious become last because of their stubborn pride while the sinners become first as they work with humility, as they willingly enter the vineyard to do the Father's will. Now, both were wrong. The the tax collectors and prostitutes were wrong in first saying, I will not go, and first refusing to do the will of God and refusing to be righteous and good. They were unworthy to enter the vineyard or enter the kingdom or receive all the blessings. And yet, Jesus says, God is giving the vineyard. God is giving the work. God is giving the blessing to the tax collectors and sinners. And He's not giving the blessings ...to the religious leaders. This all points back to what we studied from chapter 16 all the way through chapter 20... ...that greatness is not about appearing righteous... ...but greatness is about having the humility uh, to serve and to love... ...in spite of our unrighteousness. Not seeing yourself as worthy of blessing... ...as worthy of uh, everything that God wants to give... ...but seeing yourself as unworthy... What's the point of all of this? You have in this a picture that uh, God sees through the facade. God sees through the facade. He knows what's really going on underneath. He knows when the tree is just leaves. As he comes to inspect it and he finds no fruit, he sees, he knows... Those who say, I will go into the vineyard. Those who say, I submit to the authority of God. I do what God wants me to do. He knows the difference between those who say these empty words and those who actually do them. You see that evil hearts may appear healthy on the outside, but they're full of dishonesty. On the inside. There's something wrong. There's no repentance. And when there's no repentance, there's no true love for God in the person. What about us? So many times uh, we see people who... Appear righteous, who appear good, and then there's these little flaws that just kind of start popping out all over the place, and we just kind of wonder what's going on there. Uh, So many times in our lives, we might think of ourselves as righteous. I mean, whether we go to church or don't go to church, we may think of ourselves as righteous because, uh, you know, we're good people. Uh, We may go to church all the time and consider ourselves good and righteous. But are we completely rejecting the authority of Christ in our lives? Are we completely rejecting the submission to Christ that would eventually produce fruit? Are we consumed with ourselves so much, like these religious leaders were, that we're not really finding satisfaction in working for the Lord? This text tells us that God wants hearts that are totally submitted to him and seeking to bear fruit for his glory and not our own. That's what this text tells us. I said at the beginning, I don't know your situation. I don't assume to know. I don't try to judge those who are here that haven't ever been here before or those who maybe only come on Sunday morning or those who maybe only come once a year or twice a year or whatever. I don't assume to, to know any of that kind of stuff. And, and really, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God knows. And if you're here all the time, the same statement holds true. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter if you fool me. I'm looking at the tree, it looks like it's full of leaves. There's got to be fruit in there somewhere. I'm fooled. God's not fooled. God knows. But as I say all of this, I think about myself throughout the years. And I think about the lessons that I've heard about fruit. (laughs) Uh, and it's been quite a lot of lessons I've heard about fruit. And these were probably some of the most depressing lessons that I've heard. Uh, because I look at my life and I wouldn't see much fruit being born, you know? There's just not a lot of good that, that was coming out of me. And I didn't quite understand why. I was trying to do a lot and there was nothing happening. And am I, am I a bad tree? Is there something wrong with me? Uh, and maybe some of you here are struggling to produce fruit. And you're wondering, what is the deal? Like, what, is that, what does that even mean to produce fruit? And how is it that we're supposed to ever produce fruit in a world that's so evil and corrupted? Uh, and and, and what, is that, what does that mean? Well, one thing I want to say as I try to encourage those of you who might be depressed or upset about this is uh, that I've learned the tree grows underneath a lot (laughs) before it grows up and starts producing fruit. And it may be that you're in that situation where you're developing the skills to grow and and you're developing the root system to stand firm as you grow and produce fruit. You don't really want to just shoot straight up and start trying to produce fruit. You'll just topple over when the wind comes. And so maybe you're in that situation where you know, you're putting in all this effort, but you're not seeing much result. And I just want to encourage you to help you understand. God knows. God sees that. He understands the process. And He's working with you to help you develop so that you can produce fruit. Uh, it, it takes years sometimes. But for some of us, we've been at this for a long time. And nothing has happened. Something's wrong. And this is a warning to us. That maybe we have let the cares of this world choke out the fruit that we could be producing. Maybe we've become distracted from the real work that God has given us to do. And we need to make a change. You see in this. The warning. As Jesus says, May no fruit ever come from you again, and it withers away. As Jesus comes to Jerusalem and says, All right, it's time. And you hadn't done it yet, and it's it, it's not happening at this point. It's over. We don't want that to be said to anybody here. We don't want that to be said to anybody here. I do not want that said to me. We are here to produce fruit. Now, what does that mean? A lot of times I would hear those words and I would immediately think, well, bearing fruit means converting people. And so I beat myself up because I hadn't baptized anybody this year. I hadn't baptized anybody. And I would think that all the time, whenever I would first become a Christian, that I was supposed to be baptizing people all the time. And I would look around and be like, why aren't you guys baptizing people all the time? You know, what's going on here? Well... Bearing fruit is not exactly converting people. Bearing fruit is making an impact on the transformation of others because you're transformed. That's what it means that I have had a transformation that has taken place in my heart and now I am playing a part in the body of Christ. spiritual growth to glorify God. And that's what we're really here for. And that's what it means to bear fruit. It doesn't, it's not this measurable thing of how many people are converted or how many baptisms or anything like that. What it really is all about is, are you encouraging and building up the body of Christ to become what it's intended to be, what it was created to be? God did not save us. God did not plant this seed, and He does not continually water it and provide every nourishment and nutrient it needs. So it would be a weed that just sits there. He saved us to transform us and to make us into valuable pieces in His kingdom. And It doesn't matter... Who you are. doesn't matter what what your scenario is, what your gift is. uh, From the least to the greatest, we all have a role to play. In fact, the least in many cases are the greatest and they play the biggest part even though they don't realize it. We need inviters. We need greeters. We need uh, Bible class teachers. We need all kinds of different works, people to show hospitality toward those who are here, people to encourage and build up, and and maybe even people to edify. We need workers in the kingdom. And so if you're here this morning, you need to think seriously about who you are in these stories and how well we relate to these Jews. ...as we're confronted maybe with the reality that we aren't really fruitful like we claim to be. Are we going to be honest about our disobedience and and confess that we're not really doing what we should do? Or are we going to be stubborn? We need to be repentant and submit to the authority of Christ... At the end of the parable, Jesus says they even saw others coming. They saw the the sinners coming and they refused to change their ways. You don't want to be like them. And we don't want you to be and we want to help you in any way that we can. God is saving us to transform us into servants of his... Jesus came to save us from our sin so that we can stop worrying about all that sin and all the mistakes we've made in the past and so that we can become fruit-bearing trees for God's glory. Submit your life to Him and He will work with you and in you to make you into what you ought to be. Whatever that gift is, you can use it. You can grow in it to bear fruit for His glory. And if we can help you in any way, we want to. If you haven't received the forgiveness that he offers, then all the work you're doing is an attempt to make up for all the sins you've already committed. And you don't see the blood of Jesus is given for you to have all your sins washed away. Submit and let the the blood of Jesus wash all those sins away. Then you can be faithful in the kingdom. You can grow spiritually to the point where you're bearing fruit to the glory of God and encouraging and building up the body of Christ. If we can help you at all, please come as we stand and as we sing.